What's going on? Hey, welcome back from the retreat. For those who were on the retreat, didn't get to be here last week after it. It was a great, great, great weekend. So as Danny said, we're in a new series called As One. The title of this message tonight is One Body. And I'll get into the meaning of that in a second. I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for you. We're grateful that we get to meet together. God, I pray for this time that I have the opportunity and the privilege to preach. Lord, and I pray that your gospel will be communicated clearly in your name. Amen. So how many of you guys in here are sports fans? Anybody? Anybody? Cool. Yes? No? Maybe you're a sports fan. Maybe you're not. But I'm sure that most of you guys have participated in an activity that requires like a certain level of teamwork or working together with other people to achieve a particular goal. Now, maybe that goal is winning your game, making it to your state tournament, winning the state tournament. That's like, that should be like your top goal. Or maybe it's like winning a dance competition, a quiz bowl, math, whatever it may be. You actively work together with your team to achieve that end goal. So if you're anything like myself, I love to work in teams. Now, I don't always love working in teams. Depends on what I'm doing. If I'm doing something like building something, putting something together, I love doing it on my own. But it's been ingrained in my head to work together with other people through my time in the military, through my time in school, through my time in sports. But the thing about teamwork that a lot of people don't necessarily get is that as soon as one person begins to get selfish or begins to slack off, your team starts to lose. Or as soon as someone starts losing heart or feeling, starts feeling insignificant because their position doesn't matter, your team starts to lose because the morale starts to go down. Now, a team in the Army consists of four people. Your team leader, your rifleman, your grenadier, your machine gunner. Myself, I was a machine gunner, so my job was to master the art and perfect that weapon system. So during my time overseas, myself and my three other guys that I was with all the time were always training and always perfecting our craft. We did everything together so that when the time came, we could do our jobs to our full potential. And if, if anybody ever lost hope in the other person, bad things would happen. So let's use a real-world example. Let's use football. So in football, there's 11 people on any side of the ball at any given time. On offense, you have your linemen. You have your receivers, you have your quarterback, you have your tight ends, your running backs, and they each have one particular goal. And the offensive linemen have one goal in mind, and that goal is to protect their quarterback at all times. Do whatever they possibly can so that their quarterback does not get hit. Now, your other positions, like your, your receivers, your running backs, your tight ends, they have a goal in mind, and that's, that's to protect whoever has the ball, but, or it's to get open, make a play so that the quarterback can get the ball to them. In order for the offense to be successful, Everybody has to work together as a team so that your team can score and win the game. And if one person misses an assignment, the whole play collapses. Now, on the opposite side, you have your defenders. You have your defense, your safeties, your cornerbacks, your linebackers, your linemen. Their goal is the exact opposite of the offense. They want to get to the ball. They don't want you to get the ball. They want to get to the quarterback. They want to make the tackle. And they want to push you in the opposite direction and stop you from moving forward. So on both sides of the ball, you have two teams actively working against each other but trying to accomplish a goal of their own. They work together. They train together all year round just to make sure that their team succeeds together. So the Minnesota Vikings head coach, Kevin O'Connell, says that they fight as one. They win as one. Doing that together breeds success. 
So tonight we're stepping into a new series called As One. And no, I didn't take that from the Vikings as much as I love them. My heart and the reason behind the series is that we live in a culture that's severely divided. And us as a body of believers, as the church, needs to be united together. Culture tells you today that if you believe in or live by something that goes against the social norm, that you're frowned upon and that you're shut out. And the body of believers is Christ's bride. How can we all be united in our differences in order to serve and live out the purpose that God has for each and every one of us? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, take them out. Open up to Ephesians, beginning in chapter 4. So if you guys don't know, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. It's written to the church in Ephesus at the time, and its, its purpose was to strengthen the believers and to encourage them to live in unity with one another as a body of believers. So once you guys have your Bibles out, once I see them, most of you have them out, I'll get going. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. So Ephesians 4, 1 to 6 reads, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. So if you're a note taker, this is the first thing that I want you guys to write down. This is my first main point for the night. It's operate as a body. Operate as a body. So we are one body with many different parts. Each individual part of the body of Christ serves a specific individual purpose. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul talks about this, and he uses the physical body as an example. He says that the body has many parts that make it up, that make it function, that make it work. And each individual part serves a huge role to the body in order for it to function. And some may seem not super important, some may seem not that significant, but it's usually those ones that are the most important. So, for example, your toes. You guys all have the little toes hanging off the bottom of your feet. Without those, without those tiny little things hanging off your feet, you wouldn't be able to balance. You wouldn't be able to walk. You'd just fall flat on your face. Or your thumbs. Without your thumbs, you wouldn't be able to grab anything. You wouldn't be able to pick anything up. You'd be trying to grab everything with your four fingers like this, and it wouldn't work. Or back to the football example, the guy who holds the ball for the kicker for field goals. Seems like an insignificant job, but if he holds the ball at slightly an angle, or the lace is facing a wrong way, or he bobbles the snap, the kicker will mess up, and he could potentially miss a game-winning field goal. So the point is that every part of a team and every part of the body matters. And today in the Christian faith, there's so much division among the body of believers. There's so many outside voices, there's so many outside beliefs that are dividing church against church and person against person. Sometimes in the same church, people are just disagreeing and leaving. They don't even want to talk about it. They just leave. They turn their back and leave. Our different opinions should not divide us. They should unite us. We need one another to function. Just as an arm needs a hand or your leg needs its feet, humans, specifically followers of Jesus, need one another in our day-to-day -day lives. 
You can only operate for so long on your own until you begin to crave interaction with other people. We must begin to expand our minds to have real conversations with fellow believers who at times may actually know more than we do. Or maybe it's someone who's just actually confused and wants to hear more and learn more. Your differences should not pull you apart. They should bring you together. God gave each of us individual, specific gifts. Each of those gifts are specific to all of you guys. And you're to use them for, your glory, for his glory to further his name. And that walks me into my second point, and that's to stand confidently in your calling. Stand confidently in your calling. And like I just said, God has given all of us gifts, all of us individual gifts. You might be a natural leader. You might be a great communicator. You might be amazing at writing. But maybe you feel like an outcast because your skill or your natural talent is not normal to society. You feel like no one understands you because nobody else really finds the thing that you're good at important. You could be the shortest person on your team, but you might be the best one, but you don't look like the best because you're the smallest. You don't really stick out. You could be the quietest person, but you might have the most knowledge. So use whatever it is that God has gifted you to glorify his kingdom and to bring glory to his name. Romans 12 starting in verse 6, reads this, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And you could be sitting here thinking to yourself, maybe you know that God has called you specifically to something. Maybe it's to come up here and lead worship on Wednesdays. Maybe it's to run sound in the back. Maybe it's to start a Bible study in your school. How can you pursue that? Pray and ask God to show you how you can begin living your lives worthy of his calling. And if you're someone who is really outgoing and wants to start doing behind-the-scenes work, talk to the person who does that. Talk to the quieter person who might not speak up, who might not go out of their way to tell you how to do it. And if you're someone who's terrified of groups or who's terrified of speaking in front of other people, but you really, really, really feel like you want to do it, have a conversation with someone who's done it. They can give you advice on how to get started. Serve faithfully and proclaim God's word. Encourage one another. If you're ever confused or stuck on how to actually live out your calling... Read the Gospels, read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read John, read the epistles that were written by Jesus' direct apostles. Each of them were just ordinary men who lived ordinary lives, and then Jesus called them out of nowhere and was like, follow me, and they, they didn't know what it entailed, but they did it. And they stepped into that calling boldly, and they preached some of the most famous messages of all time, and they helped put together the Gospels that told Jesus' life story. But do not let what you think is a flaw in your life set you back. In the book of Exodus, we see that Moses is called by God to lead his people out of captivity. But Moses doubted himself. He doubted God because, uh, because of his speech. He had a speech problem. And our scriptures say that he was tongue-tied and he potentially struggled with a stutter, making it hard for him to get his words out. And it caused him to have fear when proclaiming God's word. And God responded to him and said this. He said, who makes a person's mouth? Who decided whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? 
Moses led his people out of captivity, and he relied solely on the Lord, and he's an example to all of us. So a personal story from my life about this topic. For those who don't know, I have an older brother named Curtis. There's a picture of him somewhere back there. Um, we're seven years apart. There's my brother. That's my brother. Yep. I, he, he's older, I promise. Um, I don't know how tall he is. He's not my height, though, which is sad. Anyways, we're seven years apart, so all my life I have spent... Hey, let's get back on topic. Just because there's a picture doesn't mean you have to get distracted. We're seven years apart, so all my life I've been looking up to him in so many different ways. Matter of fact, he, he's encouraged me to do so many things. He was the reason I joined the military. He's one of the reasons that I got into ministry. He's been a massive influence in my life. But now that we're older, we've actually become friends. We can relate on a lot of things. Because for such a long time, he was so much older than I was. I was, I was in your guys' grade when he graduated high school. But since he was a little boy, he's had a stutter. Now he's 28 years old, he has three daughters, he has a wife, and he still struggles with it. He'd have a hard time saying words that start with P or with R or with S, with T, and he would just get hung up on them. But when I was writing this message, I thought of him. And I thought about how hard the enemy works to hold people back from proclaiming God's word. Now his stutter really only shows itself if you're having like ordinary conversations with him. If you just like see him in passing, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really tell but if you talk to him face-to-face and just kind of sit down with him, you might hear it every now and then. But at, with age and with getting older and maturing, he's kind of learned how to control it. Sometimes it's more noticeable than others. But overall, he's, he's controlled it. He's never let it hinder him. So where I'm going with this is that Curtis has worked at churches. He helps run a business. He's a dad. He's an influence, influential person. And he's one of the best communicators that I've ever met. He's one of the best communicators of God's word that I've ever met in my life. And whenever he's talking about the word of God with someone, I have never once heard him stutter. I've never once heard him get hung up on his words in front of other people when he's proclaiming God's truth. And it's a prime example of the enemy trying to use something in his own life to set him back and to silence him. But God comes in and uses it to his advantage. So there may be people in this room that are afraid to be unified with other believers. They're afraid to step out because you might have something that is, quote-unquote, wrong in the world's eyes with you. But look at it as a gift. Don't look, at it, don't look at it as a hindrance. Use it as a proclamation of God's faithfulness and trust that God will use you when it matters. So many of us want the gifts and the advantages that, that make us noticed or that may seem flawless. The ones that get recognition. The ones that may grow our popularity. But sometimes the smallest roles make the biggest impacts. The roles that are the ones that aren't up on the stage. The people who do the planning in the background. The ones who may not look the best. The ones who seem shy but will change your life when you actually sit down and want to hear them out. And in sports, everybody, wanted, everybody wants to be the main star. They all want to be the LeBron James, the Pat Mahomes, whatever it may be. You want to be the best point guard. You want to be the best quarterback. Set the most records. You want that because everybody sees that. But what nobody wants is to be the player that comes off the bench but still makes an impact in the game. Or the guy who actually holds the block for the running back to make the touchdown or sets the screen for the point guard to score. People don't want that because it doesn't bring you recognition. You're not the one on the top of the stat line with all of the attention and all of the looks. But the point that I'm trying to make is is without these behind-the-scenes players or the role players, the team would not be able to function. They serve a massive purpose that would not 
allow the team to succeed if they were not present. But here's the thing. If you don't have that standout position, if you don't have that gift that gets you up in front of people that you've always wished for, don't lose hope. You're, you still matter. Your gift still matters. The very last sentence in the Romans, Romans 12 passage literally says, if you have the gift of showing kindness, do it gladly. It doesn't have to be anything flashy. Just be nice to people. Love people. Love the outcasts just like Jesus did. Invite them into your home. Go out of your way to give them attention, but do it gladly and check your heart while you're doing it because if you're just doing it out of bitterness and trying to make yourself look good, I promise it won't be satisfying. You will not feel rewarded. And God, God honors each and every one of you who pursues others and serves faithfully with righteous intentions. And my closing point for the night is to be unified in the body. Galatians 3, 28 reads, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The church is the bride of Christ. It's not the physical church building. It's not these walls that you guys are in right now. It's the body of believers. It's each and every single one of you makes up the body of Christ. Yes, this place is a church. It's a place where people gather. But the true meaning of the church is the body of believers. And I don't want you guys to forget that. We are the body of believers and we're called to live in unity with one another. Now, during the times that Jesus was living, there was a heavy separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. They didn't interact. They hated each other, and they severely looked down on one another because of their different beliefs. But when Jesus came in, he broke those barriers down. He said, there is no difference between you two. There's no difference between man and woman. There's no difference between slave or free. He took the, he took the differences that divided and used them to bring them together, and he made them beautiful. It showed the beauty about following Jesus, about Christianity, because there can be people from all over with different beliefs, with different backgrounds, and they come together for one purpose, and that's to worship Jesus. They put their differences aside, and they worship with their whole heart. So just about a week ago, if you guys had been keeping up with current events, there was something that happened in a college in Kentucky called Asbury College. Um, and what started out was a normal church service, that was just supposed to be like an ordinary like Wednesday night, almost like this. It turned into 16 days straight of worship. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for almost three straight weeks. It was a revival. It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as beautiful as the worship was, there was something else that was really beautiful to see. It was thousands and thousands of people coming in and out and gathering day in and day out to confess together, to repent together, to weep, to dance, to celebrate, to worship. It was old, it was young, liberal, conservative, new believers, and lifelong believers. People who had never sang in front of people got up and led songs in front of the group. People who had never preached before gave up and gave spontaneous words of encouragement. And no one batted an eye. No one said, what are your qualifications? Oh, you can't be here. Oh, I disagree with your politics. Get out. No, it was a group of believers that gathered for one goal, to worship the king of the universe and to fall on their faces and surrender. Now, that's what unity in the body of Christ looks like. It's looking past your differences with one another, looking past your social disagreements, and looking inward at one another's hearts. Look inward at each other's hearts. Don't just look at the outside. See what they're about. Pray for one another. Love one another. 
That's unity. We read in Ephesians 4 at the beginning that there's one body, that there's one spirit, that there's one Lord, that there's one faith. And that's the simplicity of it. The simplicity of the gospel is that Jesus created you, and that he died for you on your behalf. And three days later, he conquered sin, he conquered the grave, and he came back to life for all of us. Let that truth unify you. Don't let, don't let culture be the rock that you die on. Let Jesus and let your faith be the center of your life. Now, earlier, as I talked about the offense and the defense in football, Satan is the defensive lineman that is trying to bull rush himself into your life and blow up your play. But us as a body of believers are relying on one another, are relying on Jesus to combat the defensive schemes, to block him out, and to make the play that causes him to lose. We cannot walk this life alone. We need community. We need fellow believers. We need friends that we can come alongside and encourage when they need, when they need us the most, most. We need to surround each other with fellow believers who are in this fight together to the very end. And the very end can be like that, blink of an eye. This is what's so awesome about meeting together, even though it's only one, two days a week, Sundays and Wednesdays. It's what's so awesome about it is you guys get to meet other people with the same goal and same beliefs in mind. You can go out to your schools and you can share that with other people. That's why I love our small groups on Sundays. You get to meet new people. You get to learn about the Bible. You get to, if you stay here long enough, you get to be with them from sixth grade all the way up till your senior year of high school. You win together, you lose together, and you grow together. That's what unity is as a body of Christ. So after this, we're going to go in. We're going to break up in our small groups. We're going to go through a passage together. You guys have been doing it for the last few weeks. We're going to do the SOAP method. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. It's hard to see. It's really small font. I don't really know why. But 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 through 26. I hinted at the message or at that uh, verse a little bit. But I want you guys to go in your groups with your leaders. The leaders in here will help you. And I want you guys to break it down and really figure out what that means and what, what God is saying to you guys through that. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to break up in groups. Lord Jesus, thank you for this amazing night. God, thank you that uh, all these students chose to come here tonight. Jesus, and I pray that uh, you will just impact the lives of those who need you the most. Lord, reveal yourself to those who have ne never met you and continue to reveal yourself to those who know you. God, thank you for all these students. Thank you for the gift of community and unity, Jesus. And I pray all this in your name. Amen.